0: Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CMF Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info.
1: Hey everybody, Will Solvin here with another episode of Let's Cover That with my co-host.
0: Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Rebecca Love. Rebecca is an RN and the Chief Clinical Officer at IntelliCare. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So Rebecca, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to IntelliCare.
2: So, I'm a nurse by training. And I think what happened is, in the middle of the pandemic, the CEO of IntelliCare was looking for more insights into what was making the nursing workforce work. So, I think he called me out of the blue just to have a conversation about the situation that nurses were facing. And I was very blunt that day. I said, I said, a lot of organizations, healthcare staffing agencies treat nurses like commodities. And as long as you continue to do that, there's actually no difference between uh, places for nurses to work because we keep getting traded. Uh, or treated as a place of an uninvestable resource. And that, I think, it was a conversation, and that led to further conversations about how could we could work together to change the future of work for nursing uh, by enabling technology to allow nurses to pick up shifts when and where they want, which could allow them to scale their access to providing care in greater amount of uh, locations across the United States.
1: Awesome. That's a great rundown, Rebecca. So what, what is IntelliCare how does it differentiate i mean you kind of get into it right there how does it differentiate from other platforms in the market
2: Yes, so I would largely say that technology is the biggest difference of IntelliCare from any other organization that's out there with regards to staffing. So IntelliCare was founded on the premise that if you could take a per diem workforce, take it off a paper process, put it into technology, speed that technology up and give a better user experience, could you scale the nursing workforce to pick up shifts in multiple locations through ease of use? And what we believed would happen was we thought that about one shift a month would be picked up by nurses. And what we were finding is that because we made it so simple, on average, nurses were picking up five shifts a month with us. And that was the idea and the premise of IntelliCare. So lack of a better term, it's sort of like an Uber for nurses across long term care, because nurses get credentialed to a credentialing passport level that allows them to go ahead and pick up multiple shifts in different locations and scale their ability to practice in a per diem capacity.
1: What is it just kind of, so stopping there in like the because that's one of the big questions when you get in nationally is like, you know, the Uberization of healthcare and kind of the detriment of that, you know, and also the risk of now I'm hopping in here and now I'm hopping in there, it's different EHR, it's different people that I'm working with them, joining in with a team. So, so how do you see that on the quality of care that the nurses have? Clearly there's a higher level of engagement and satisfaction doing it this way, cause they have more autonomy to kind of choose when and where. Um, How does that impact their quality of care, the patient care, um, concerns of patient abandonment If to get into a spot where they're like, whoa, what's going on in here? This is not what I was advised about. So so how do you kind of work with that piece of nurses joining in and out?
2: Excellent question, because I think the question is, and when I started this question, this question was front and center. How do you drive quality in almost 100% remote workforce in a per diem capacity? Because we know historically staffing agencies do two things very well. They increase cost and they decrease quality, right? Now, that is something that fundamentally was not something that I wanted to be part of. So we did something very different in IntelliCare. And what we've started to do is we started to monitor all clinical incidences, track them, engage with these nurses, and provide them retrainings in the moment right after those incidents have happened. Happens. We developed a library with our director of education of over 70 modules. What you may not be aware of is nurses are not traditionally educated in long-term care. They're all sent to hospital environments. So historically, what we used to do to nurses and aides in this space is, you made a mistake, we would simply fire you. Now that seems wrong to me, this very punitive mindset. So what we started to do was engage with them with the clinical team, provide retrainings, and then assess them to see if they were competent in the skill sets to go back out and do those things. To your point of continuity of care, this is an issue that is facing the entire country with regards to any workforce in any setting in the United States today. If you paid attention to the situation of why Mayo opposed the Minnesota Safe Nursing Staffing Act that took place that was going to establish the ability for nurses to be on committees to decide the level of staffing that was appropriate within hospital systems, Mayo opposed that because they said 56% of all nurses in in Minnesota work part-time. The reality is, is the nursing workforce, irregardless of Uberization or gig workforces, the nursing workforce by large and at scale across the country is both a workforce that is working in a part-time or per diem capacity. And the truth is, is that we can optimize technology to actually make them scale at a better rate and use that technology for retrainings and actually assessments. We could actually probably manage and better scale a workforce that has never been invested in before because we are simply a cost center to healthcare systems. As you're probably aware, nurses are a cost to healthcare systems. And because of that, no hospital is ever going to invest in that workforce for technology that would make it better for them to work. I strongly believe it is going to be the private companies in industry who are making those investments and have been the only investments made into nursing. in of course, significantly in the last 10 years are by those organizations that are looking to actually improve the work-life balance and workforce opportunities for nurses
0: across the country. Yeah, that's incredible insight. And you know, speaking about the work-life balance you know, we hear so much about burnout. It's been the buzzword across the healthcare industry since the pandemic hit. And, you know, how does a platform like yours really help the nurse with that? So I think you're probably aware 95%
2: of nursing still in this country is female. Um, The vast majority of nurses that work in long-term care actually come from Uh, a a different background. Uh, Those who work in long-term care are still vastly minorities, vastly women, and vastly are on the edge of living in poverty in this country. Nurses in long-term care are paid substantially less than nurses working in other industries. And now this is a failure to the marketplace. Over 400,000 individuals left working in long-term care in the pandemic and have not returned. So without operationalizing and creating platforms that make it easier for nurses to pick up per diem shifts in long-term care, I think this crisis would be much worse. So the truth is, is that when you look at investing in technology that enables nurses to pick up shifts when and where they want without these really stringent rules on what per diem looks like, suddenly nurses are looking, Saturday, it's raining and I don't need to worry about the kids' soccer game. I can pick up a shift. So as I said, when we started, we started to see that most nurses who work with us have full-time jobs elsewhere, but use us to supplement their income and pursue to work in long-term care because of the flexibility and the ease of use in which we provide that by using technology.
1: So it's it's interesting. So what, what you're saying is just why widely understood is misunderstood is that, you know, uberization is not a question of what's going on with nursing and healthcare. It's we're already there. They've already been operating in a part-time value and that's what we've been leveraging over time. So now it's just a matter of you know, admitting that and optimizing it and making it scalable is really like the change. And then, you know, now we also have the burnout, which is in nursing, but it's really like everywhere. Every, you know, every person is now talking about burnout. What even doctors are now saying, Hey, we're burnt out and there's more people retiring. So it's, it's really impacting us all levels. It is.
2: And you know, Will, you just said like 80%. uh, We know this as a national statistic. 80% of nurses who have a baby go to part-time or per diem schedules. We know this historically across every setting. We had never built technology to optimize that workforce to keep them at the bedside. And to your point, everybody is burnt out. And one thing I say differently about nursing is that the one difference about what the difference of nursing and burnout is that nurses joke that they will not go to the bathroom or eat on a 12-hour shift. The reason they don't do that is because the lives of the patients that they're caring for are so at risk of dying that if they take a break to go to the bathroom, someone on their shift could die. This is something that I don't think people understand, the level of intensity that nurses deal with on a day-in, day-out schedule. And the reality is it's it's beyond burnout in this country. As I've often said, there's not a shortage of nurses in this country. There's a shortage of nurses willing to work in healthcare environments as they are staffed today. And we know that because there are over 5 million nurses in the United States, more than a million of them from 10 years ago. And we graduate 250,000 nurses a year, which is an increase of 15% per year over the last five years. Graduating the largest profession that we graduate of any other degree in the United States comes out as nursing. It's simply because we have not invested in a sustainable and retainable workforce within the environments that exist in healthcare today. And if we don't do serious reconsideration of optimizing technology and centering on the work life of nurses, my concern is there's going to be no nurses in the future to provide care. And we know one thing, if there are no nurses, there is no healthcare. Everything else can be done outpatient, surgery, occupational therapy, respiratory therapy, The one reason you are in hospitals and nursing homes today is because if you don't have 24-7 monitoring by a nurse, you will have much worse outcomes and potentially die.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's super insightful. And, you know, I think, you know, when we think about this and we think about future nurses coming into the industry, you know, we have to question, you know, where do they go and who do they turn to? So do you have advice for future nurses coming into this profession? Yes, I I have to say things are very, are dire
2: for our new grads. Prior to the pandemic, 57% of new nursing graduates left the bedside within two years of practice. We now know that in the last two years, the largest demographic of nurses leaving the profession are nurses with less than one year of experience. The truth is, it's not that we don't produce enough nurses. We don't retain them. So what I need to say to the young nurses who are graduating is don't accept what prior generations of us accepted. And you're not. Use your voice to speak up, define what you want, and force the systems to adopt new ways that you want to work. The truth is, is that we need nurses more so than ever in healthcare, but our voices in nursing have often been abdicated for others to speak on our behalf. If that's evidenced by the Woodhall study that ran over two parts of 20 years. In 1998, uh, Nancy Woodhall ran a study, the editor of USA Today, wanting to know why nurses were missing from public media, showing that less than 4% of articles where nurses would have been germane and central to the story, where nurses were less mentioned. 2018, they re-ran the study, and nurses are only cited in source of less than 2% of media articles. Everyone else speaks on behalf of the nursing workforce, except us. So this is why I value being here on this podcast with you, because you are finally giving op- uh, you know, a voice to nurses to be heard about the things that matter to them. So what I would say to that next generation is there is still, in my belief, no greater profession in healthcare than nursing. And the truth is, is we need incredibly strong nurses to be joining this profession to save it. And the truth is, is if you are part of that next generation, Don't allow the failures of our generations to prevent you from creating the greatest change that could ever happen for our generation of nursing on a go forward basis.
1: That's such a, it's a great mission call, Rebecca. It's because, you know, when you look at workforce management in anything, aside from, um, nursing, you talk about, you know, people talk about like your genius, like your passion, like, what are you good at? And when you tap into what you're good at individually, you see your engagement level and your even productivity level just changes. Like you don't get the Sunday jitters or, you know, whatever it would be for nurses who are doing these part-time shifts. And then Mondays, maybe a different day of the week, but it's, if, it's really, like you said, it's not a matter of like headcount that we're losing. It's just engagement level. So if you have a quarter million people rolling out and then year later, they're just leaving it's as a crazy statistic of lack of, of engagement and training, like you said, with long-term care, you, you have this like, you know, punitive mentality, not educational and growth mentality. And most people want to stand on a pathway and walk in growth. And if you do that, people stay engaged long-term because they're growing, but they also have the ability to grow in compensation and kind of be more self-directed, which is really any nurses, you know, people know it's like, they're just amazing. So if you can kind of tap into that, just keep doing it that way. It's just, it's, uh, that's really like a complete paradigm shift from what you see in the media about the uberization of things. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just, I think it makes people look very negatively on it, um, rather than a systemic issue. So it's amazing what you've just highlighted for us. So thank you so much.
2: Well, Thank you, Will. And you know what? I I just appreciate that you guys are actually peeling back the layers of the onion, because to your point, much of the media has defined that we are the problems, that nurses are experiencing burnout. And the one thing that I want to say is burnout often makes it the responsibility of the individual. They can't hack it. The truth is that's not what's happened in nursing. The reality is that we've seen criminal prosecution of nurses for self-reported medical errors, as the example of Radon Devat. And ever since that trial happened, the collective psyche of nursing is that it is no longer worth the risk. Every day, nurses cross the threshold to care for people that no one else would. In that pandemic, when there was no treatment, no cure, no vaccine, why all the doctors, all the administrators fled the hospitals and the nursing homes. It was only nurses left standing there to care for people. And we've done that repeatedly. Then we allowed for nurses to start being criminally prosecuted for unsafe staffing ratios, for unsafe conditions. And the collective psyche of nursing is saying, I love nursing. I love my patients, but I'm not willing to go to jail and leave behind the family that I love for a mistake that I was put into an environment that was no longer safe to practice. And I think where I would like to just leave you guys with the thought is where in the world would we be without nurses? Because the truth is not all of us can be TikTok stars. And if we look at the fabric of our society, who are we going to be as a nation if we lose this profession? And to me, that is something that needs to be talked about at the highest levels of Congress, because we're producing plenty of nurses. We're just not retaining them. And those that are staying are now at such great risk of criminal prosecution because the environments are becoming less safe as opposed to more safe, that those that are staying every day, as you just saw the McKinsey report, more looking to leave than ever before in the history, even during the height of the pandemic something needs to be done. This is a public health emergency because it's going to hit all of us when we a step into an emergency room and realize that there are waiting 10, 20 hours for care and patients are literally dying, not because there isn't enough doctors, but simply because there is not enough nurses.
0: Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for that profound final statement. And we really appreciate your time today on our podcast.
2: Thank you for having me and having such a challenging conversation. There is hope and it's conversations like these that lead us to create the change that we need to to stabilize this profession. So thank you.
1: Yeah, Thank you so much, Rebecca. We're happy to be a conduit to get this message out there. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And that's another episode. Let's cover that.